you would grab a Bible, open it to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, we'll be spending all our time in that place for this part of our worship this morning. Mark chapter 4, good to see you this morning. We have some visitors with us. We have, as I've said before, a slew of Copelands, including one that's wearing just a perfect shirt for this morning. That was just a great choice. Good to see everyone here this morning, and uh, looking forward to what we're going to do for our time this morning. I want to start just by reading Mark 4 and verse 3. Mark 4, verse 3. Jesus says, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. That's how Jesus begins a story, which is just an absolutely classic story, where Jesus takes uh, an image and a process everybody in his audience would have been familiar with. In fact, even today we're familiar with it because it's essential to life, the process of planting and growing. And he tells a story that shows us who we are and shows us why things are the way they are. He uses this story to discuss some of the most important questions we could ever ask. So here are some of the questions that Jesus' story is going to address. Who is Jesus? What did he come to do? Why do so many people reject Jesus? What is Satan doing while Jesus is at work? Why do new converts not always continue living as Jesus' disciples? Why do some people just lose their spiritual steam? Why do we sometimes lose our spiritual steam? What should we expect when we teach the gospel? All of these questions are answered in this remarkable story. In fact, Jesus says this story is the key to all the stories. Look with me down in verse 13. In Mark 4, 13, he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? See, this is a story about how we hear God's word. And if we don't hear God's word well, then the rest of the stories we're not going to hear well. So if we miss this one, it's sort of the gateway, and we won't get to any of the others. So he says this is an essential idea. So what I want to do this morning is really focus on this story, but I want to talk about what we're going to call the challenge of the sower, how we can take this story and really challenge ourselves. Because it seems to me very often my struggle in reading this story is that I hear it and I understand what it means and I work through all the meanings, but I have a hard time figuring out where I fit in the story. And so I want us to take some time to do that this morning. Now, how we're going to do that is we're going to spend the bulk of our time just working through the text. And then we're going to ask four questions at the end of the lesson this morning that really challenge you and me and try to bring that idea home to us. For those who are in the front rows, it's okay if you can pull out your sunglasses now because we have these new projectors and I know they're super bright. I know last uh, Wednesday night, wow, we were just kind of in awe. But uh, anyway, I'll, I'll try to, there's only a corner of the, the slide that's actually white, so that might help a little. No, really thankful that we got some new projectors, and they look awesome, and so I'm, I'm glad for that. Although I am going to miss the uh, sound kind of like a lawnmower in the building, you know, but I actually did, by the way, this isn't part of the lesson, I actually did several weeks in a row think, who is mowing so close to our building during worship? It was the projector. All right, so a little context on the parable of the sower. Uh, So in Mark chapter 2, you have the emergence of a lot of opposition to Jesus. Here in chapter 2, he's accused of blasphemy. He's criticized for eating with tax collectors and sinners. He's criticized for not fasting. He's criticized over his use of the Sabbath and his disciples' use of the Sabbath. There are these great crowds following him. And in chapter 3, you see more crowds, but you also have opposition. You also have people saying, oh, he's casting out demons by Beelzebub. He's in league with Satan. 
So you have a strange situation as you come into chapter 4. You've got Jesus being very popular, and yet there being intense opposition. So both of those things are happening at the same time, and there is a bit of a question as to why would this be? Why would Jesus draw such allegiance from some and such opposition from others, and then amid the great crowd, some who were sort of interested but not committed? Why would that be? And so this story is going to help us with that. Let's just begin by reading Mark 4 and verse 3. Mark 4 and verse 3. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had, since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing, and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven." And he said to them, do you, under, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. So the story is simple enough. Farmer sows seed in his land. It has different results based on the different ground that it falls on. And it's a true-to-life story. This is the way farmers would have done it in the ancient world. They would have sown seed on every piece of land that they had, no matter how barren it looked or how unlikely it was to produce anything, they would have just sown. In fact, we know from some historical work that some have done, not me, but others, that uh, Sometimes farmers would even sow without plowing the ground. You know, we would think, oh, that's probably not a good idea. But they would sow and sometimes come back and plow later. And they just said, no, this is just the best way to do it. So a lot of this fits with the context in which Jesus lives. Now, if we were observing the farmer, if we were newspaper reporters on the scene, the story here is that the man sowed crops and he had an incredible yield. That's the story. Some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. We wouldn't focus on the fact that he lost some seed by throwing it on some ground. We wouldn't focus on some seed that sprouted up and then withered. We would focus on the good crop. And we would say, you know, whatever happened to the other crops, the other seeds, that doesn't really matter. Whatever he invested in that was worth it because of the incredible yield of what landed on the good ground. But Jesus' story is not like a newspaper story. Jesus' story gives a lot of highlights of what happens to that seed that is sown on the other soil which means Jesus is trying to spotlight something for us in those other hearts. And he says in verse 9, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So he begins with listen in verse 3, and he ends with he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He is saying, you need to pay attention to how you're listening. So we have a little interlude here where Jesus is asked by his disciples, well, why do you tell them all these stories? I don't know if they're confused. They seem to be a little mystified by what this story means. 
But it also seems to be that Jesus is going to begin teaching more and more in stories. And they want to know, why is that? What are you thinking? And so Jesus explains to them, uh, this is in verse 11, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, they may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. So parables serve a double purpose. That is, for those who are interested and eager and willing to listen and try to find an explanation, it's going to reveal something to them. But to those who are not willing, it's going to serve to say, you know what, I don't get this guy and I don't get his story, so I'm just going to move on. And so it says there, that's part of the purpose, verse 12, so that they may see but not perceive. So they are mystified by the fact that Jesus is telling in stories they don't understand and they say, well, I don't, I don't just want to follow a storyteller. I'm looking for somebody who can tell me something about God. So uh, one author said this. I like this idea. He said, Jesus offers riddles whose answer can be fathomed only by those who understand the riddles in the context of his own ministry or who patiently press into his inner circle to wait for the interpretation. I like the idea of a riddle because a riddle, it doesn't necessarily obscure something. It can be a powerful teaching tool, but... For those who don't know the explanation of the riddle, it's kind of agonizing, right? It's frustrating. And if you have a riddle and you never hear the answer, you're probably going to forget the riddle and like, not have much to do with the person who told you the riddle. Like, it's frustrating, right? So I think that's part of the, the function of this. It has the effect of weeding out those who aren't really interested in understanding Jesus' words. All right, verse 14. The sower sows the word. So I believe this is primarily speaking of Jesus and the message he's bringing. Jesus has come to sow the word. He has come to preach about the gospel and what God is doing, and his disciples then follow after him in the pattern of preaching the good news of the kingdom. And he spreads that message everywhere. Have you noticed that Jesus doesn't do this kind of selective preaching? Okay, I'm just going to go one at a time. Jesus seems to say, here's a crowd, let's talk to the crowd. Just like a sower taking all the seed and just throwing it out there. Okay? He is not going to do the sorting because the gospel does its own sorting. That's the point. So you and I, we need to hear that. The gospel does its own sorting. God does not rely on us to do the sorting. Okay? You figure out which kind of ground somebody is, and then you plant the seed very carefully in the one good ground that you found. He says, no, you just throw the seed out. That's what the sower does. So verse 15 these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. We're probably talking about a footpath that would go through the field. Okay, something that would be packed down because of regular use. And some seed falls on it. And Jesus says it doesn't have the time to take root. Before it can get down into the soil, maybe because the soil is so packed down and hard, Birds come and eat it. Satan comes, he says, and takes away the word. Now, in Matthew's account, Jesus actually says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what's been sown in his heart. So Jesus says in that text that this is also an understanding problem. People don't get it, and because they don't get it, they can't benefit from it. They can't learn anything from it. So the stress is on a lack of understanding. It's not about hearing. You hear the words. Yes, the words go through my ears, but I don't grasp them and I don't understand the point of them. I'm not paying attention and I'm certainly not obeying. Please hear me. When he talks about a lack of understanding, it is not some kind of intellectual problem. This is a heart problem. 
It's not that you're not thinking about it enough. It's that you don't want to understand. They don't obey because their hearts are hard. They don't want to. And there are people that you can see in Jesus' ministry who are like this. Sometimes there are people who are only following him to get free bread. You remember that? Uh, those were in the men's study in John 6. Okay? They keep following him because they're seeking not to see the signs, but because they want the loaves and they want more food. Some of them are unable to accept him because of some kind of external circumstance, like, oh, he eats with tax collectors and sinners. He's from Galilee. We've got some problem with him being from Nazareth. You know, all of that. And it's just, I'm not even getting to the point where I process what he's teaching I'm stuck at the level of, I don't really want to hear it. I don't really want to understand it. We also need to notice here that the neglect of the word is due to Satan. Did you notice that? The wicked one comes. Satan comes. In all three of the times this parable is recorded, it is specifically said that Satan is the one who takes the word away so that it does not have the time it needs to penetrate the heart so that someone could be changed by it. So when you ask the question, as we did earlier, what is Satan doing while Jesus is working? Here's how Satan is at work. Satan is trying to undo what Jesus is doing. Satan is trying to take the word away. So it's not that Satan makes people have a hard heart. It's that Satan uses the hard heart to keep God's word from penetrating it and from changing it. All right, verse 16, Mark 4 and verse 16. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So the rocky ground is soil that doesn't allow for depth or root. So in the story, remember, Jesus talks about the sun coming up and it wilting and withering. These are people, he says, who receive the gospel joyfully. They're excited. They're eager. But he says the problem is they have no root in themselves. So when something negative arises, some obstacle, some adversity, they give up. Now, Jesus says specifically here, you notice that there are going to be times when it's hard to continue to have faith, continue to follow his word. Difficulty is going to come. He talks about tribulation or persecution on account of the word. And when that happens, it's like the sun coming out and we've all had that kind of grass or those kind of weeds or something. As soon as it starts to get hot, they just dry up or shrivel up. Okay, that's what he's saying. It's that kind of uh, response to adversity. So I think what Jesus is saying, I think is pretty simple. That there are things that happen in our lives that are tests for us, that show how intense and sincere our commitment is. I mean, that happens to all of us in different commitments we make. Uh, that happens in different commitments we make with our time. That happens with commitments we make in our relationships where there are going to be things that test them and they show just how serious were we when we made this commitment. So I think that's what Jesus is doing sometimes with the people he interacts with. Do you remember the man that comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And the first response of Jesus is, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He is saying... You know, you say that, and that's great, but you need to know it's going to be hard. And Jesus, I love this about Jesus. I've said this before, but I love it about him because it makes me trust him. Jesus is always very upfront about the fact that it's sometimes going to be hard so that we're not surprised when the difficulty comes. But what is going on here is explaining the phenomenon of the eager 
convert, the person who has that burst of enthusiasm. They're excited to hear the gospel. They're ready to make changes. They're eager to learn. They're sincere. They're zealous. But when something happens, maybe that's some word that's said to them that's critical or that hurts them. Maybe that's something they see in their lives or some problem in their health. Or maybe that's some question they come upon that they can't answer. Maybe that's some teaching they never heard of and they begin to follow after that. Whatever it is, something happens that tests their commitment to Jesus and suddenly they, they want to walk away. Jesus has people like that. Do you remember? Do you remember when they say, this is a hard saying, who can accept it? And many of them turn back and walk with him no more. Jesus had people like that in his ministry. I just didn't think it would be like this. That's the idea, and there is no root in them. So the problem with this heart is that it is shallow. It is not that their circumstances are so bad that no one could ever believe in those circumstances. It's just that the heart doesn't have the depth necessary to sustain what's required. So think about it in the sense of stony ground. Okay? No matter how much you pour the seed on it and the water on it, If you've got rocks underneath, it's going to be hard for there to be the roots that it needs. All right, verse 18. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So the thorny ground has other plants that grow up alongside and end up crowding out the word. So these are people who understand and who want to obey and respond positively, but something happens where their lives are just too crowded and eventually the gospel just gets crowded out. Luke's account adds the pleasures of life. I want you to see what Mark says here in Mark's account in verse 19. The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things. Cares of the world, concerns about everyday life, what we have to do today and this week, what we've got on our schedules and agendas, what's going on in our relationships and our workplaces and our homes and families, all the things that comprise everyday worldly life can crowd out the impact that the gospel is intended to have. We just get focused so much on that that we neglect this. He also talks about the deceitfulness of riches. Riches are deceitful because they make promises they can't keep. They tell us that we're going to be content. They tell us that we're going to be successful. We're going to have everything we need. When in reality, they can't make those promises. They can't hold on to those. But we get deceived by riches and we seek after that. And that becomes a goal for us. That we're really committed to working hard and saving and piling up what we can. And at the end of all of that, we are deceived and frustrated. But that pursuit crowds out the word. We've got too much going on. He talks about the desires for other things. You know, things that might not necessarily be wrong in themselves. I'm thinking here about our relationships and careers and dreams and hobbies and goals, all the things that essentially take our time and energy. And so we hear the gospel and we say, you know what, that is a good point. I need to work on that. But there's just no room for it because our hearts are so committed to all these other things. This is the heart of the rich young ruler. You remember who, when Jesus challenges him, sell all that you have and give to the poor and come follow me. Change your life. He goes away sorrowful. He has great possessions. This is the heart of Judas. You remember Judas who hears all of those warnings about money over and over again? He heard the word, no doubt about it, 
I believe Judas wanted to follow him, but I believe Judas had some other plants growing up in his heart that crowded out what Jesus was saying. Finally, look at verse 20 with me. It says, But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. This is the good soil. Luke says that these are those who have good and honest hearts and who bear fruit with patience. So they hear it and they accept it and they live by it. Fruit here is the idea of obedience to the message. We're doing what the message says. The new life the gospel is intended to produce is coming up in us. We are growing. We are becoming stronger. We are showing God that we really agree with the message and that we're trying to change our lives to accompany that. So it's important, and I don't want you to miss this as we go through this whole story. It's important that we know that the gospel, the message of this book, the message Jesus brought is intended to produce something. It is intended, it's like a seed that if it doesn't produce the plant, it's almost like a waste that God is intending for something to happen as a result of the preaching of the gospel. That is, there is more to the preaching of the gospel than us just arguing about the words or considering the words or even just thinking about the words, that there is intended to be obedience to the word. And until that happens, the gospel has not borne its fruit. It has not been completely fulfilling its purpose. So these disciples, the good ground are the ones who keep going through difficulty. They are the ones who keep obeying even when they don't fully understand. Those who listen and pursue the truth and try to live by it. That's the good ground. So when we began this study, I told you that this story answered a lot of questions. I just want to go back through because we've answered a lot of them. I don't know if you noticed as we went through. Who is Jesus? What did he come to do? Jesus is the sower. He came to teach about the kingdom. He came to transform lives. He came to find those who would respond and obey to God's will. Why do so many people reject Jesus? We know that now, don't we? It's a hard issue. It's about the soil. No problem with the the word, no problem with the seed, no problem even with the sower. It's about them not accepting what Jesus wants them to do. So the fruit or the lack of fruit says a lot more about the soil than it does about the seed. The seed is intended to produce the fruit. So what is Satan doing? We talked about that. Satan is working to undermine Jesus' teaching, take the word away. Why do new converts not continue living on as disciples? Well, we answer that. They don't have the depth, the root that they need. Why do some people lose their spiritual steam? Because the gospel gets crowded out. We get so many other things that take our attention and our energy away from the gospel. And then what should we expect when we teach the gospel? It's pretty clear too, isn't it? We should expect a variety of responses. That we can expect some people to not understand or to shout us down. We can expect some people to respond eagerly but then fade. We should expect some people who are going to eventually lose their steam and get crowded out. We should expect some people who obey. Now, that all preaches great. We're at... We're at 9.33. I mean, that's a fun sermon to preach. That's great because we don't have anything to do with us, right? So I want to ask you four questions to try to apply this to you and me. The true challenge of the parable of the sower is the question, what am I going to do? What is going to become of all of the teaching and guidance and warning and encouragement that I have received? Have you thought about The fact that if you have been a Christian for very long, 
If you have been attending church services for very long, if you even have a phone where you listen to other people's sermons, that the number of lessons and studies and things that we have thought about and heard from God is staggering. My mom has been taking me to church from the time I was born. I am 36 years old. How many sermons is that? Tens of thousands of times I've heard someone speak from the Bible. And the question is like, what has that done for me? That's the question I want us to think about. That's a question that hits a lot closer to home than if we're pinning down who else is some different kind of soil. So first of all, first question I want you to ask is, do I listen and understand? Remember, Jesus has taught us that understanding is a choice. The gospel is not too complex for us. But understanding is linked to intensity. How much do you want to know what's going on in what God is saying? Do I want to grasp it? Do I want to get what God is really saying and meaning and wanting for my life? Particularly, I'll just speak for me, I have a bad habit of wanting to apply the word to other people than me. In fact, I'm really good at that. Okay? I can see it. I can say, oh, I know somebody who's like that. I know somebody who needs to hear that sermon. I know somebody who needs to read that passage. And it's a very easy thing. So I can evaluate what the Bible teaches, and I can do what we've done this morning where I think through and analyze it and try to think about what is Jesus getting at. I can even apply it to you. And I can talk about all the people I've known who have this problem, and I can talk about, you know what? Just give me five minutes with your life, and I'll show you what you need to change here. I mean, that's easy. But what is not easy is asking the question, am I the wayside Soil, the soil that refuses to take the effort to understand the brilliant truth of the gospel and bring it into every corner of my life. Which one am I? This is about how I listen to preaching. This is about how I read the Bible on my own time. This is about how I receive the biblical advice and worldview of my brothers and sisters. All of those things. The question is, do I listen? Do I understand? Am I ready for hard times? Jesus has taught us that hard times will come and they are a threat to our discipleship. He talks about it in terms of roots and depth. We need to be prepared for the fact that faith is not always going to be easy. So I have to ask the question, am I ready for what it will be like when people belittle and deride me for my faith? When I am threatened with the loss of my job or my income because of my faith? Am I ready for real persecution, which we don't really experience in this nation? Persecution that there is no promise will stay away. To be thrown in prison because I believe in Jesus. Am I ready for the idea that I might lose someone I care about because of their faith? Am I ready when I have questions and doubts to understand the difficulty that that is and how hard it remains to continue in my faith? When God feels distant, when I suffer in my health, when my family members pass away, when my marriage struggles, when I let people down, when I make big mistakes, the hard times of life, am I ready? Am I going to keep going then? Or am I going to be like that seed where it's excited when things are good? There is time when we gather together and hear from God to grow deeper. And maybe not everything that we hear and understand is going to make radical changes in our lives, but it can always help us grow deeper in God. Third, is there room for God in my life? 
Jesus has taught us that the things of this world can crowd out our faith. And it's not that we're unwilling, it's just that we're also willing to pursue so many other things too. And if we pursue all these things so much, then we end up not having very much left over for God. We are, I say this to Christians, I say this to American Christians, we are so committed to so many different things that it's hard for us to do justice to any of them. We just keep signing up for more and more and agreeing to more and more. And there is a danger in that, that we will begin to leave out the most important things. So is there time for God? Is there energy for God? Do I see the value in having God and his word in my life? And I think we need to ask ourselves seriously, based on what we've seen, that can be a recipe for spiritual disaster. We need to ask the question, do I need to shuffle some things around and do I need to leave some things behind to pursue what really matters? And finally, am I making real life changes? Remember, Jesus has taught us that the word is intended to bear fruit. Fruit, obedience, real life changes. So when I hear something, the question is, what areas are changing? We have this fascinating ability to talk endlessly about everything We can write thousand-page tomes on small words in the Bible. And we can argue, we can even divide about it, about just what do you say about this or about this or about this. It's so striking to me that New Testament Christians just did what they were told. They just went out and obeyed. So it makes me wonder, is there a place to just do it in my life? Yes, sir. Let me go. Especially when we have opportunities to show love and care, to just do it, to just obey, to not make excuses and not parse out all the verses and just say, yes, that's what I need to do. So the question is, what am I working on? What needs to change in my life to meet God's expectations? How am I taking the word and making real change? How am I becoming the good soil? So this is the challenge of the sower. And I want to encourage every one of us To ask the question, if there are four kinds of soil in Jesus' story, where do I fit? Which one am I? And how can I show that I really am bearing fruit for God? All right, thanks so much for your attention. We'll be dismissed for our classes.